Hi, I'm Mark Trailer from Christianity Without the Crap, the new podcast. And I never, ever listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore, except when I do. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dollamore. Alright everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 668 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, it is suddenly hot round these parts. Yeah, that it is. A it weird happened thing. very fast. <laughs> it's the very weird thing about uh, uh, L.A. is it goes from temperate and normal to fucking summertime. Yeah, like just one day it happens. Mm-hmm. It's not like a gradual buildup. Last week it was rainy as fuck. Very nice and rainy. And here we are. I mean, it was Seattle last week or ten days ago or so. Yeah. And here we are now. It's miserable summertime yeah i hate it and i know we get a lot of flack from people for complaining about the weather in southern california but yeah it's it's not great i was enjoying the rain downsides of the rain is it doesn't rain very much here let let me guess what the downside is fucking drivers yeah Yeah. because it never (laughs) rains people don't know how to drive but also it's like southern california is not even set up to deal with the rain the like pipes will start bursting and water gutters, is coming out all over the road. The gutters are just filled with dirt. So yeah. they, they over they're just like it's clogged. Everything's clogged. It's it's a mess. But really the drivers are an issue too because they're it's not terrible. used to it. Yeah. I actually this was several years ago, but one time I had a boss who sent us home knowing that rain was coming. Yes. And didn't want us to drive in the rain. Can you imagine if it snowed here one day? Oh my god. It would be fucking pandemonium. It would be a nightmare. But <laughs> it was actually scary the other day because I was on the freeway and a car That is scary in and of itself. That's scary. Sometimes a lot of furniture, <laughs> mattresses, you never know what's going to fly. Ladders yeah. just randomly in the middle of the road. Road rage incidents. So, well, I'm sorry. I'm hijacking your shit. What what happened the other day? Well, I was on the freeway. A car pulled onto the freeway, was merging onto the freeway, and then just spun out. Oh, yeah. You, yeah obviously, you told me about this. And it was terrifying because they were very close to me. And it was one of those moments where, and this is rare for me, <laughs> everything kind of slowed down. In slow motion, and I felt I got very calm. Yeah, you, you turned into Spider Man in the moment. I mean, no, but sure. And I, <laughs> I was aware of all the cars around me. I was watching the car spin out and how close it was getting to me. And I just like you know didn't slam on the brakes because I didn't then want to spin out. I slowly pushed wow. my brake in. That's but abnormal for you. It, Usually, you freak out. Well, and then I drove. <laughs> I drove past them because I couldn't. I was so close to them that stopping and letting them kind of figure out what they were doing and turn around. They were, they were turned around going the wrong way on the freeway. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't even get out of the way to let them do that. That's how close I was to them. So I almost got hit by this car and it was terrifying, but you're right. 
I typically don't handle these things like that. Usually you just like put your hands over your eyes and scream wildly. I don't put my hands over my eyes because I need to see what I'm doing. But yeah, I tend to scream. That's an involuntary reaction where I'm just like, ah! (laughs) And that did happen one time. I almost got ran off the road by a milk truck. Yeah, I remember that. You were driving and we got pushed off onto the shoulder. Yeah. They just decide, I'm changing lanes. Fucking look out, fuckers. Yeah. And uh, you screamed... (laughs) <laughs> As though you were being like hacked apart by a hatchet. <laughs> you lost it. <laughs> you freaked out. Yeah. Well, it helps me process and yeah, it, it helps me get some of that anxiety out when I can yell about it. I think it's helpful. Don't judge. I'm not judging. It's just what it is, man. You're kind of judging. Uh, a little bit of judgment, but I just don't. Uh, I think I react well. I think I un- I react uncannily well and calm in crisis moments. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it depends. Which is a little bit of a, a brag, but I think I I, I really think, do. I mean, I don't I don't know that that's a brag. It's just it's either you have that or you don't, right? It's it's something that people should be equipped with to work in specific professions, right? Cops, fire firefighters, people that. Have to you mean heroes, Brittany? People that all the heroes. People that run toward <laughs> the crisis and not away from the crisis, yeah, right? Yeah. You have to have a unique disposition to be able to. That's why I podcast so well. <laughs> That's why I'm such a great YouTuber, Brittany. Is that uh, I run toward the danger? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know how many e- I, this is totally off topic, but do you have any emails I get a week? From people saying to me how brave I am oh. to, to to do what I do on YouTube and talk the truth to power as though I'm going to be punished by, like, I'm in danger of something because I'm calling Donald Trump a fucking moron, which I'm still not over from last episode. Well, but. you do get death threats and yeah, it's that, not kind brave. Of, that kind I mean, of stuff on. happens. Anyway, well, no, we've I lowered know. the bar on what a hero is so much that now I'm considered a fucking well, hero. Well, I think, I think what they're getting at is likely... The death threat thing, right? That there is a risk to it. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I guess. Yeah. I I wouldn't go as far as to say all those things. Nah, but either, either would I. Yeah. <laughs> either would I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the actual heroes. The people who write in and call into the show, Brittany Page. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with an email that we have, and then we will go to the voicemail, because the voicemail is uh, dealing with Joe Biden shit, and I want to kind of talk about that yeah so this is from james in colorado and this is actually a part two email that he sent and so this is just a message to james from colorado the first message that you wrote was quite lengthy substantial as we like to say in the substantial yeah (laughs) and so i'm gonna read the second one because it is far less substantial all right, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Is that is that how we now? Here we go. Yeah, that's that's the new transition. <laughs> Every time we transition to a different topic or subject, here, here we, we go. go. Chill. <laughs> okay, this is about Elizabeth Warren as VP. Mm. Okay. A tantalizing proposition. Warren cannot be the VP. Oh, apparently not tantalizing at all. If they win, the Republican governor of Massachusetts chooses her successor, which means we can't stand for her. Love you. Brittany's the best part. Bye. That, James from Colorado. That email Love the show. is uh, the best part. 
Not I- substantial. Very unsubstantial. Yes. Or is it insubstantial? Insub- it's un- unsubstantial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, thank you, James. We appreciate it. And there is this is something to talk about because right now, obviously, Joe Biden has has announced that he will pick a woman to be his vice presidential candidate uh, on the ticket with him, and so it's kind of like everybody's making their lists and compiling their lists of who the choices may or may not be. Well, and I, I want to talk about a survey that came out from Data for Progress, which is a left-wing organization. Pew, 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 pew. I love how you played that. As I said, it's from Data for Progress. <laughs> yeah, well, it's every time we have a survey, or it's just our, it's our, it's our, it's our survey music now. It's okay, got it. Lead in, yeah, good time. Yeah, so they tested the strength of five potential vice presidential candidates on their ability to generate excitement among different Democratic voters. All right. Well, that's certainly a metric that uh, Joe Biden needs to tap into. Yeah. Not a lot of people are just beating down the door. Oh, my God, Joe Biden's running. That's so great. Yeah. So they looked at former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Lover. Senator Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I'm sorry. Senator Amy Klobuchar. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yes. And Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. I don't know much about her policies. Uh, I think here's what happens: the the uh, Andrew Cuomo effect. It's, yes, it's exact. That's a great way to explain it. That is a <laughs> fucking awesome way to explain it. That people are like, ah, Andrew Cuomo needs to run for president. Do you know you don't know anything about his policies? Is he for Medicare for all? There are some real questions that need to be asked before you people jump on the goddamn bandwagon. Anyway, yes, yes. So I don't know much about Gretchen Whitmer, other than she is a a direct in the line of fire right now of Donald Trump. But that doesn't necessarily make her a a good choice as a vice presidential running mate. Yeah. So I think people are particularly interested in how Sanders supporters would respond to whoever the vice presidential candidate is because they don't want to vote for Joe Biden. Right? actual uh, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters or... Twitter Bernie Sanders supporters because those are two different groups. Well, and we that's that's a fair point. So that's kind of what this data for progress survey gets at. In this survey, 61% of Sanders voters said they would be more likely to support Joe Biden if Elizabeth Warren is the nominee. Oh, that, 61%, that's good. While just 9% say it would make them less likely to back Joe Biden. I don't understand people. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I, why? 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 Well, Warren's 52 point advantage is far larger, according to this data, than the, than the other candidates. Harris, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris, was the second largest in terms of appeal to Sanders supporters with a 34 uh, point advantage. But but only th- almost half. I mean, yeah, that's, that's Warren is the clear front runner, front runner here. And in then, this. listen, there are obviously several different facets, uh, divisions within the the Democratic Party, but that is an element of the party, the progressive side, the left leaning side of the party that has to be captured. It has to be um, brought in mm-hmm. to Joe Biden's camp and. Kamala Harris isn't going to get it done if she's the second. It, Elizabeth Warren really is a it's a good choice. Mm-hmm. It seems to me. Well, and it seems like it's important for Joe Biden's campaign to look at things like this before making a decision because they want to appeal to the most voters possible. 
and specifically Sanders supporters, right? Looking at how can we heal this divide between the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the establishment wing of the Democratic Party. Which you need the liberal wing to win. You need them to win. Right. And we posted this this survey uh data to the Facebook page. I doubt it with Dalmore podcast on Facebook. And there was some pushback from Sanders supporters, yeah, right? Of course, that, of that talk about how Elizabeth Warren is like disloyal and I've even seen her called like a corporate Democrat. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. Come on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So we're gonna talk more about Joe Biden here. We're finally doing it. I don't know if anyone has noticed there's been a conspicuous absence of any Joe Biden talk. <laughs> and it's because we're intentionally avoiding it. Because we are bummed that well, we're in this before, situation. Before we move on though, I want to talk uh, uh, address the issue about the Senate thing. Oh, yeah. James from Colorado. Sorry, we're completely off track. Yeah, because uh, that is certainly something it is worth talking about. Listen, I'm I've recently kind of turned turned around on it because I was also like the Senate. But everything is going to have to work in our favor to to flip the Senate. And it is important to flip the Senate. uh, For me, it's almost of equal value of than getting Donald Trump out. But. What he's saying is, one, because if Elizabeth Warren, who's not up for re-election this year, if she does get on the ticket and then Joe Biden does win, it would leave an open seat in Massachusetts. Massachusetts has a Republican governor who would then appoint someone to the seat until a special a special election would be held. So it it is something to consider. But... It's already, I'm not going to say super unlikely, but it is unlikely that we will flip the Senate anyway. So what do you think is more important? Running the risk of having a Republican for a while in the Senate in her seat or having someone super, super fucking capable in the vice president, running, riding shotgun to someone who really needs the assistance, Joe Biden. We really need somebody very, now more than ever, we need somebody super capable as vice president. Because we don't have an Obama who's uh, capable, who's an intellectual in Joe Biden. We don't have that as a president. So we would need someone very strong. Uh, riding shotgun, like I said. So anyway. Well, and part of that, uh, data for progress information that we were just talking about, they, they find that the more people learn about Stacey Abrams, the more popular she does become. And part of the reason that Elizabeth Warren is so popular is that she's well known. Yeah. Well, Stacey Abrams would be my second choice because she is, mm-hmm. she might even be my first choice. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's really a, it's a tough thing because yeah. she is, Super cerebral. She understands policy very, very well, mm-hmm. just like Elizabeth Warren. So really, it's I think we'd be well served with somebody like her on the ticket, too. So yeah. uh, anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Next, an email about Joe Biden. Voicemail, I mean. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. My name is Andrew, and I like to talk about Joe Biden. Honestly, he's not someone I'd vote for or choose as the Democratic nominee for president or want to vote for president. But between him and Donald Trump, it's pretty much like 2016 all over again. He has horrible policies. 
He's shown not much to care about the millennials. His actions of sexual assault and um, recent allegations really put him away from voting for him and anything in political discourse. But honestly, between him and Trump, I would vote for Joe Biden, even though at times I would definitely think about not doing it. I really want the country to be much better, even if we have someone like Biden running against Trump. But honestly, there are times where I could just say I don't want to vote at all. But I really do have to when I really do want to. And if this is the way we're going, I want to vote for Biden. But honestly, Bernie Sanders should have been the president and nominee. Well, thank you very much. I hope you guys have a great day. And please take care of yourselves throughout the pandemic. Love the show. Brittany for the best part. Don't so is Jesse. Bye. Love the show. Brittany for the best part. Bye. I feel maybe the exact same way as Andrew. (laughs) Very conflicted. I mean, it's never been a question of whether I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm going to vote for, I'm going to vote against Donald Trump. Most certainly. But all of these things, listen, this is what fucking frustrates me kind of the overarching 30,000-foot view. Leave it to the Democratic Party to, to pick a candidate rolling off of the 2016 election into 2020. And they pick maybe the only person who's a worse candidate than Hillary Clinton. How did we get from Hillary Clinton to, oh, Really, this what we experienced in 2016, coming off of that, we really got to not fuck it up this time. We need to pick somebody who is super solid. And instead of doing that, they, we, go with Joe Biden. It is super frustrating. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm in Andrew's boat, where I'm... I mean, I've never considered not voting for him because I I believe it is too, too important. Mm -hmm. And it's not about Joe Biden. It's about Donald Trump. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's fucking maddening. Well, and it's still, like he said, it's terrible to be in this position. Yes. Right. It's that's why we've avoided talking about Joe Biden for so long. And I I don't know if anyone noticed, (laughs) but we we had been avoiding the conversation because we were kind of mourning the loss of where we thought we would be right now. Yeah. I I really, I really in my heart thought it might be either Warren or Sanders. I really did. Yeah. And so to have the entire democratic establishment wrap Joe Biden in a hug and elevate and support him with endorsement after endorsement it just feels like we're in a situation that is impossible. Yeah. You know? Um, and of course the sexual assault allegation that has come out against Joe Biden, which we're going to talk about right after the break coming out of democracy. Yeah. Makes it just that much worse. Yeah. Yeah. We feel you, Andrew, we feel you. And I'm sure that there's, there's thousands of people out there who listen to the show who, who, who match the, the, the bummed energy mm-hmm. <laughs> that you brought to the call, which is just understandable as fuck. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, 
Can we do a quick, like, uplifting story? Yeah, I also want to talk about, I've got a clip here about the Navy captain. But yeah, let's do that. Go ahead. Because I feel like the mood is dropping and I want to. <laughs> well, it's not. It's it's going to drop back down. Okay. So. But go oh, ahead. Well, yeah. let's just let's just take no, a no, roller no. coaster ride. Yeah, let's do it. And have some I ups and downs. <laughs> OK, so this Did my hands go up in the air like I was on a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. it was nice. Nice. Very good. So there ha- has been at least. Acting. <laughs> was that acting? I, don't... I was acting like I was on a roller coaster. Oh, that's right. So at least one beneficial side effect to the order to shelter in place in California has been the impact on accidents, injuries, and fatalities mm. on California roadways. Even with the rain. Even with the rain. In fact, they've been cut in half. Wow, really? Yes. And Holy the, shit. The state and residents of California have saved $1 billion just since the effect went into order on March 20th. That's in, that's an insane number. Yeah. So listen to these numbers of accidents that happen in this state. <laughs> this is crazy. What, so, what are you doing here, stir? <laughs> in the 22 days after the shelter-in-place order, March 21st to April 11th, there was an average of 450 vehicle collisions per day throughout the state. This is according to a study conducted by the Road Ecology Center at UC Davis. Yep. The Road Ecology Center. Hmm. Mm-hmm. UC Davis. Digging deep. During the same period in 2019, so last year, there were 1,128 collisions per day throughout the state of California. It's insane. It is, that is an insane number. Yeah. And then if you're comparing it to the 20 days prior to sheltering in place, 1,056 accidents per day. Per per day. It's a lot of accidents. But yeah, it's been cut. I mean... It's a big state with a lot of roads. Yes. And a lot of people... A lot of people. Most populous state. Yeah. A lot of people texting and driving. (laughs) Yeah, there are. One of the things that... Or one of the questions that this this study uh, recognizes is if it's been cut in half, right, how much of the traveling that we've actually been doing is non-essential? Yeah. How much of it was unnecessary? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, people have been talking about how the earth is healing itself, right? That the climate is improving. Yeah. Factories are shut down. So yeah. the, the, just the, the, the carbon footprint is, is far less. Yeah. And this also helps, right? That there's fewer people on the road, fewer accidents, fewer fatalities, right? These, these are also benefits to staying at home. Sure. Sure. I know there's a lot of downsides too, but we're trying to be positive right now, right? We're trying to look at the benefits of it. Roller coaster ride. And, and that's going to end now. Now we can go right back to how everything. No, I mean, no. I Here we go. Well, because the, the, <laughs> the I, we, we talked about the, the, the Navy captain of the USS uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who was removed from his position for sounding the alarm about the now hundreds of crew members, like 571 right. positive coronavirus cases just from the crew of this aircraft carrier. The, the argument was that he sent a letter knowing that it would be leaked to the press, and yeah. that's primarily why they removed him. Imagine... Like an aircraft carrier has a crew, you know, like the size of my old hometown, 3,000 to 4,000, you know, it's a few thousand people. 
Imagine having a town that size with 507. There's about half the cases. How many how many uh, cases in Orange County, which has a population of three or four million? How many coronavirus cases? Yeah, roughly, like 1,800 or something. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's fewer than 2,000, roughly, here in Orange County. That's millions of people. There's 571 cases on this aircraft carrier. That is insane. An alarm needed to be sounded. He go, He was removed from his position, and now the Navy is actually considering reinstating him. In a stunning reversal Friday, the Navy's top leaders have recommended that fired Navy Captain Brett Crozier be reinstated. This comes just three weeks after Crozier was relieved of his duties following a leaked letter he wrote calling on the Navy for stronger safety measures following a coronavirus outbreak on his aircraft carrier, the Theodore Roosevelt. Thomas Modley, then the Navy's top civilian, abruptly fired Crozier and later told the crew the well-liked captain's actions were stupid. And he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. But Modley's move backfired. The captain was hailed a hero who was willing to risk his job to safeguard his sailors. Modley ultimately resigned over his decision. The recommendation to reinstate Crozier was submitted to U.S. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, who has said he will consider it. Sources say Crozier is one of more than 800 sailors from the Roosevelt's 4,800-member crew who have tested positive for the coronavirus, effectively taking one of the Navy's most powerful ships out of operation. One member of the crew has died. So I want to push back on something that this reporter said. First of all, can you imagine going into a sound booth and thinking you're fucking really killing it with the, that delivery? God damn. Uh. <laughs> But, very uh, dynamic, very uh, dynamic speaker. Sometimes I think that uh, enunciation is paramount for reporters and that they don't really care about anything else. They just want to make sure that their words are very I guess. clearly understood. Anyway, I want to push back on him saying that, that Modley said that his actions were stupid. That's not what he said. He said he is either too stupid or blah, blah, blah to do the job. Right. He didn't call his actions stupid. He called him, the man, stupid. Yeah. And now, who's stupid? He's out of a fucking job. Modley, the 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 Navy secretary. So, uh, listen, uh, this is something that I think is good news, and I hope... You predicted this. I, I don't know if I did it on the show, though, so I can't really take credit for tooting my horn. I really? Did say- Wait, you're going to pass on an opportunity to do the tooting of the horn? I can't pass. Yeah, I can't pass on the opportunity. I was gonna say I don't. I don't think you can. So I did. I said. That, <laughs> I, I, I did. Look say, at how quickly we just transitioned. Well, no, I just. I don't know whether I. I anyway, I'm. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the W. Okay. But it still hasn't happened yet because they're considering the, the Navy has made their recommendation um, to Mark Esper, who is the de- Secretary of Defense, who has not acted on this. Which would be a pretty stunning thing for the Department of the Navy to, to make a, a recommendation to the Secretary of Defense and for him to not take it. The only reason Mark Esper would not take it is because of Donald Trump. That's the only reason that he, he wouldn't take the wise and sober ruling from the, from the Navy, from the Joint Chiefs, from the, the military establishment, the actual people in uniform who know what's best. Anyway... 
this is being considered, and I, I, I really, I, I think that they should because this he put the welfare of his crew before everything else. Yeah, which is what you want. That is absolutely what you want in a commander, and uh, I hope they don't fuck this up. So, anyway, moving on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Thank you to each and every one of our Patreon supporters, our PayPal supporters, those of you who shop on Amazon using the dollamore.com slash Amazon link. Although, please be aware that you are supporting a terrible organization. And a terrible human. Yeah. Listen. We all all use Amazon, so we know, but we like to just give that informed consent up front. I just read an article the other day that Elon Musk, who's less terrible, but still, come on. What's he up to now? Well, I don't know their net worth individually, but they are both getting far richer throughout this pandemic. While people are busting out. People are are losing everything. People are in dire, desperate straits. They are gaining in net worth off of the misery and struggle of society. I don't know so much about Elon Musk, but certainly Jeff Bezos is making out like a fucking bandit during this. Anyway, if you're going to use, if you're going to spend your money there anyway to enrich this fucking evil mastermind... Go to dollamore.com slash Amazon, and he has to give us a little. We also appreciate those of you who rate and review the show on iTunes or whatever preferred podcatcher you use. Make sure to do that profanity-free, though, because they will not post the review if there are the naughty words in there. I'm, uh, yeah, iTunes fucking hates cursing. They do, yes. So please avoid that. But listen, you you support the show just by listening to it. Right. By following yes. us on our social media pages on Instagram at I doubt it podcast at Dollamore at Brittany E. Page. Same things on Twitter. And of course, the I doubt it with Dollamore podcast Facebook page where we post things throughout the week to keep everybody engaged and to start conversations. So we hope that you join us there as well. Share an episode of the show with a friend. That would be my ask. This week, this episode. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you liked last episode or this episode or one last week, share it with the pal. Indoctrinate a friend. We love to indoctrinate. We also want to announce that we are now on the iHeartRadio app. Oh, yeah. That happened well. too. Yeah. yeah. So if you would prefer to listen to the show on iHeartRadio, we are now on there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. We, uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And, uh, Moving on. Here we go. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's talk about rapey Joe Biden. This is where we are, everybody. I don't want to believe the allegations against him. I really do not want to believe them, but they are credible. 
First, we're going to play something that kind of goes over the, the, the allegations against him. And then there's new evidence that just bolsters the allegations even more. And now to the race for the White House. A former U.S. Senate employee has come forward alleging former Vice President Joe Biden sexually assaulted her in 1993. Our Amna Nawaz has the story. Thanks, Judy. I'm joined now by Lisa Lehrer. She's a reporter at The New York Times who's been covering this accusation against Mr. Biden. And she joins me now. Lisa, welcome back to the News Hour. So we should note, um, you've been reporting on the Biden campaign and some allegations over a year ago about inappropriate touching, him making women feel uncomfortable. That was over a year ago. And Tara Reid was among the women you talked to back then. This allegation we're talking about now is different. It's a much more serious allegation. I'd like you to lay out what is the incident that she alleges happened back in 1993. So her allegation now is that basically when she was a young staffer working in then Senator Biden's Senate office in the spring of 1993, she was asked by a supervisor to bring the senator uh, like an athletic bag. She tracked him down in the Capitol complex of buildings. She doesn't remember what day it was or where exactly she tracked her down. She handed him the bag and Biden pushed her up against the wall and basically started kissing her and sexually assaulted her. This is a this is not something she talked about a year ago when I talked to her and when other reporters talked to her and uh, she spoke publicly. Then it was more about sexual harassment while she was working in the office. So this is, as you point out, a new and quite serious allegation. We should note, too, in response to previous previous reporting on this, in your reporting, Kate Bedingfield from the Biden campaign responded to say the claim is absolutely untrue. It absolutely did not happen. And she cited, of course, Vice President's uh, Vice, Vice President Biden's record in serving women and women's causes. But he also says that women should be heard and heard respectfully. You mentioned uh, you interviewed Tara. I want to play just a quick clip of that moment in which you were asking her about this incident. Here is Tara Reid in her own words. It happened at once, and that's what's so hard about telling this story. Like, uh, he's talking to me, and his hands are everywhere, and everything's happening at once very quickly. This happened, like, in under two minutes. So, Lisa, our job, of course, as journalists is you assess the credibility, you corroborate the story. What were you able to confirm and not confirm about what Tara Reid told you? So Tara Reid had a friend that she told at the time who I spoke with who was able to confirm most of the details that Tara had told me. She also said she's, she told her mother at the time. Her mother's deceased, so obviously I couldn't speak to her. She told a friend many, many years later in 2008 uh, some of the details, and she also told her brother some of the details. Both of those people confirmed you know, what they had heard, which were not really the full extent of the story, but some version. Uh, but I also talked to dozens of people who worked in Biden's office, both with Tara in 1992 and 1993, and the years around that period. And none of those people recall seeing anything like this or even rumors of any kind of sexual assault. They said, in fact, the office was considered a really great place for women to work on Capitol Hill at a time when not all offices were as uh, hospitable to women and there were women in senior roles. And many of them felt that this was just really out of character with uh, the Joe Biden they knew then and the Joe Biden they know now. Lisa, you mentioned you'd obviously spoken to her almost a year ago and she didn't share this allegation with you then. Obviously, we know women sometimes don't even come forward at the time of their assaults to report them. But when you talk to her later, did she say why she chose to wait many, many months before coming forward in another interview to share this incident? Yes. Yeah, so that was my first question to her when I called her back, as you can imagine. 
And what she said was her first set of allegations, which were really printed only in a very local paper in uh, Northern California where she lives. After that, she had a wave of harassment online. She got death threats and she just got really scared. And she didn't want to bring up these more serious allegations without having some kind of protection, either security or a lawyer or a PR person, somebody to help her manage the incoming uh, flow of things on social media and other places. She reached out to many, many lawyers and could not get anyone to take her case. Uh, as a result, she ended up talking to a woman uh, who had a, a podcast on Rolling Stone, who's a well-known supporter of Bernie Sanders, and first telling her story of sexual assault on that podcast. Lisa, we should point out you have faced criticism. Many in the media have faced criticism for not allegedly going after this claim as aggressively as, say, maybe the claims against Brett Kavanaugh. We're looking at the man who's likely going to be the Democratic nominee. So where does this go from here? Well, I think we're going to continue to see some outlets uh, review this story. And then I just have to I think we have to wait and see what happens. Uh, notably, President Trump has been fairly silent, completely silent on these allegations, although some around him have not. And they've uh, they've sent out tweets and other messages about them. Uh, but I think, you know, everything is really overshadowed by coronavirus right now. So the question will be, as we move into the fall campaign, do these allegations get more traction? Uh, are there more accusations that come out? Or is this sort of all that's out there? Because there's no real pattern uh, for Joe Biden in terms of sexual assault right now. This is the only allegation against him. Generally, in these kinds of cases, you look for that kind of pattern. We're not seeing that here so I think we just have to see how the campaign unfolds, which will have a lot to do, in fact, with how the virus unfolds. Two things here. One, uh, you're not watching it. You're listening to this. But when you watch her, when I watched the video, when I got the audio. The New York Times reporter? The, the woman that just got done talking. New York Times reporter. Yeah, she she, she seems to be, and this is just me. Listen, again, I don't want to believe it, but I do believe it. She seems... To have kind of a shitty, disbelieving attitude. She did have a shitty attitude. You heard her actually have a little chuckle there when yeah. she was asked one of the questions, and that was very off-putting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't dig her vibe. But the reason we played this is because I wanted to. It's a good summary. Yeah, of... it really is a great summary. But also, it's not like a. This woman's not out to get Joe Biden. I wanted to play some that she's almost sympathetic to Joe Biden. You know what I mean? That, that's the that's the that's the reporter the or Tara Reid. The no, the reporter. Okay. Yeah, I, I wanted someone um, who was almost sympathetic to him because I want it to be because I don't want it to be like a witch hunt thing where oh they're just out to get Joe Biden. This is just salacious bullshit. I don't believe it is. I, I really one. I'll make another prediction. I think there will be more allegations. I think there will be more people who come out now that she is being believed and it's being reported on. Yeah, there are none out there right now. But what happened during the Me Too thing, Harvey Weinstein, all of a sudden, boom, and I'm not comparing Joe Biden to this, that fucking dick face, but there, I think there will be more. Well, so that question that she just asked, do more accusations come forth? Are we going to start to see a pattern with the accusations? Or... Is there going to be more evidence for this claim? And yesterday, the latter came in terms of more evidence for the claim. So Tara Reid, and I, we played that because that was a good summary and uh, of the accusation of kind of what has happened in, in recent weeks. And Tara Reid has claimed that she told 
few people. Okay. She told her, her mother. Yeah. At the time, she told them that this happened. A close friend. Contemporaneous. And her, contemporaneous uh, reporting, like fr- from that time. Right. So she told her mother, a close friend, and her brother about both the harassment and, to varying degrees, the actual sexual assault that occurred. Her brother and her friend. By who- the way, they didn't go into details. What she says is that Joe Biden pushed her up against a wall and then put his fingers inside of her. He digitally penetrated her. Yeah. I thought that they covered that. I didn't. I Maybe I just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so her brother and her friend, who is remaining anonymous, both confirm that they heard the allegations directly from Tara Reid at the time. Reed's mother, however, died in 2016, so she hasn't been able to yeah. to speak to the media and tell them, yes, she told me, right? And this this has been kind of a sticking point that, yeah, you're, 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 you say you told your mom, but we can't talk to her because she died. Right. However, both her brother and friend also confirm that Tara Reed did tell her mother and that her mother was a longtime feminist and activist and actually urged her to go to, go to the police. So... In an interview, though, with The Intercept, Tara Reid mentioned that her mom actually made a phone call to Larry King Live on CNN referencing an experience that her daughter had on Capitol Hill. This was difficult to track down, though, because Tara Reid, she didn't know the date. She doesn't know, you know, when the mother called in. Also, Larry King apparently didn't like take names of callers right it was usually just caller from wherever yeah that's right and then they would start talking so it was kind of difficult to ascertain how to get a hold of this call however we're talking about reporters here and they're very tenacious Fuck yeah and so they tracked down a an episode of larry king live on august 11th 1993 the month that tara reed left her position not on okay yeah so we'll get there yes thank oh, you oh sorry sorry uh it was it was a program titled Washington the cruelest city on earth question yeah, mark right toward the end of the program he introduces a caller from San Luis Obispo California according to congressional records in August 1993 that was Tara Reed's last month of employment like you just said with Biden's Senate office Further, according to property records, Tara Reed's mom was living in San Luis Obispo County at that time. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of evidence, right, we're we're getting we're getting warmer. You see what I'm saying? So it's not an airtight case, but it certainly adds tremendous credibility to Tara Reed's story. Right. So we actually have audio of the call. We're back. A couple more phone calls on this very important topic. Our guests are former United States Senator Howard Baker, Richard Allen, former National Security Advisor, and Lois Romano of the Washington Post. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, uh, a staffer uh, would do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there. Uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. 
Well, yeah, but these are the people who do come to the Los Romanos, right? The mm -hmm. staff worker who says, I want to let you know about what's going this on. This is going on, and I'm so the guy down the hall. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people have a sense of obligation. They feel that this public official should be accountable if it's something wrong. They're whistleblowers to the president. So Tara Reid has confirmed that that is her mother's voice, saying, ah, I have not heard my mom's voice in a while. Yeah. And... Now, of course, the caller doesn't specifically mention sexual harassment or, you know, she's not she's not specific in what she's referring to. She's keeping things quite vague. And that is certainly going to be used by people to continue to create more distance between Joe Biden and this allegation. But in terms of just leaning toward a direction, right, we don't even need to say 100%, right? Just just think of everything that we've just talked about. The clip that you heard regarding the allegation, this new information that has come out with the Larry King live call. In terms of where you lean, right? Yeah. It seems like it makes most sense to lean toward Tara Reid as being truthful here. Credible, yeah. Listen, this is a credible accusation. Also, when when in the previous clip when the reporter talking about the the summation of what what the the charges and the allegations are right now uh they cited that, that uh, Biden's spokesman cited Biden's record with women and women's causes like oh this is just totally out of step with what we know about Joe Biden then and now is it really cuz 2 years before 1993 was the Anita Hill situation with Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearing, where Joe Biden was a fucking dickhole in that case. So much so that he has, he has gone on the record and apologized for his ridiculous treatment of a victimized woman. So is it really out of the bounds of creepy, touchy Joe Biden? And let's, let's be honest with one another. Look, I'm going to vote for the guy. I'm going to be unexcited about it. But he is a, a touchy feely, creepy fucking guy. I, I will say, God damn. I, I will say that I think there is a difference between being a touchy feely weirdo and forcibly holding someone against a wall Absolutely. and penetrating them. Absolutely, um, those are those are different things in my mind. Um, yeah, but there's a there's a it, it's a shorter path from touchy feely, creepy to rapey than it is from just a regular person who treats people and their boundaries with respect. I'm not saying it's absolutely, but it's a shorter distance between the two points. Of course. And that's the interesting thing about the Biden campaign denials and denials specifically from people who worked in the office at the time to say that they never heard anything about harassment. There right? was there was one account where someone said, I didn't hear about any harassment, but but I did know... She got demoted or fired rapidly. Something happened right. that no one really knew what happened, that what went on, why, why she was she was transferred or demoted. Right. And and Tara Reid speaks about that as though it was because she came forward about the harassment. Yeah. Right. Stroking her neck, running his fingers through her, her curls and her hair and things like that, which he's demonstrated a power, uh, a pattern of doing even on TV. Yes. Right. When there's cameras on him and he's being recorded. So for them to say, oh, we've never heard of anything like that. Well, you know that Joe Biden does that kind of shit. He, he's on camera doing it, sniffing yeah. people's hair and rubbing their shoulders and like you said, generally not having care or concern for people's boundaries. And it, listen. It, it, and he's he kind of falls into that John Mulaney thing that we always promote where 
all of a sudden men are starting to, the rules have changed. I can't run at you fully erect anymore. You with, know, with hate in my eyes. With hate in my <laughs> eyes. Like he, because Joe Biden released one of those videos yeah, where times have changed and blah. no, times haven't changed. You know, it's just that women feel more comfortable now saying, Dude, I work here. Why are yeah. you sniffing my hair? Don't touch me. Yeah, Chris Matthews. Hey, dude, it doesn't matter what I fucking look like or what I'm wearing right now. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I have an opinion that matters that doesn't involve my appearance. You right. fucking idiot. <laughs> Still a sore spot for you. I, I just don't like that guy. I had bad experiences with Chris Matthews on the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you know who I am? Fucking clown. Yeah, yeah. But the views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Well, maybe I jumped the gun on that one. I just like to give you an out sometimes. Okay. Well, I guess I can't vouch for the specific story that you tell on the hill, so that's nice, I guess. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh but listen, so we've we've been we've been holding off on discussing this allegation, and I'm sure people have been wondering why. And this is why. We were waiting for more information to come out. Yeah. Right. We heard the interview um on the podcast, the initial podcast that Tara Reed went on with a prominent Bernie supporter. And we we wanted to be cautious. Right. In in our approach here. And we wanted to do what we did here, which is lay out a lot of context, a lot of information and give a full picture. We all know that Joe Biden has creepy Uncle Joe tendencies. Right. And in invading people's privacy and in crossing boundaries and not having respect for those boundaries. This sexual assault allegation represents a crossing of the threshold into sexual predation and victimization yeah yeah and listen i'm i'm sure and i've I've seen it actually people saying you know this is just one accusation there hasn't been a pattern established and listen that doesn't there doesn't need to be a pattern for someone to be labeled a sexual predator he if he violated one woman if he committed sexual assault against one woman then He's a sexual predator. You know what they call somebody who's raped one woman? Only one woman. A fucking rapist. Yes. So it's it's frustrating to have to grapple with these conversations. And I'll tell you what's more frustrating is having two men who are credibly accused of sexual assault running for the highest office in the land. Yeah. With the most power. Yeah. And it, it just continues to be remarkable to me that that we're in this situation. I I don't know what we can do at this point, right? There's dropout Biden trending on Twitter. That's wishful thinking, I think, you know? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Joe Biden. It would be so great if it happened, but that's not going to happen. His campaign continues to issue, issue denials. And I feel for whichever women whichever woman he does end up choosing because she's going to be attacked whoever she is for standing by him with this accusation yeah. floating above his head and it's not fair right that she's going to be attacked for it but she will be we need somebody to take one for the team though because they're going to be serving their country the greater good not necessarily serving joe biden 
it's just it's so shameful that we're sitting here having this discussion and (laughs) the basic response is at this point there's nothing that we can do to change this you know it just feels like such a powerless state to be in and i know that that's really why bernie supporters are so angry right now right because they still feel as though that there should be a viable path for bernie to, I get to it. get the to get to get the nomination yeah, still. I get it. I totally get it. And listen, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm, I'm going to vote who, whoever is on that ticket. I'm going to vote for, for to get Donald Trump out of office because I don't think it's tenable to have a seven-two Supreme Court, and that is what you're going to get. Abortion will be illegal in a vast number of American states. Women will not have that as an option for reproductive health care in this country. You guys, RBG the, the cannot kids, hang on for four more years. She might not be able to hang out until the election. Yeah. We Listen, there are hundreds of children in detention camps. That won't be the case with a rapist Joe Biden president. That will be the case with a rapist Donald Trump president. You got to think about the policy. You got to think about the lives that will be affected one way or the other. If your choice is this rapist or this rapist, you got to think about what's going to fucking be the result Uh, of your vote. Oh, my God. And that's where we are. God damn it. What the fuck have we done? Yeah, I, I'm not to the place yet where I feel comfortable saying what you just said. Like, I'm not, I'm not prepared to, I'm not prepared. I to, get it. I understand why so many liberals are having this cognitive dissonance that is preventing them from acknowledging this allegation is being legitimate. Because it, it fucking is painful. It's, yeah, it's painful. I un- I'm saying I understand. It's motivated yeah. reasoning, right? They don't want to recognize it as something that is legitimate. Because if they do, then they have to admit what you just admitted. And going through that process, I feel sick right now just talking about it. I mean, I honestly, I, it's just, what are we doing here? Yeah. Right? Um, and this is honestly why we waited to talk about it. And I'm still not in a place where I feel good about this. I'm just not. And I don't know if I ever will be. You know, it feels very hopeless. I don't feel excited. For the first time, when an election is coming up, I'm completely disinterested. I haven't felt like that since I got involved in politics when I was a teenager. And if you feel like that, someone who is interested, who is engaged in politics, imagine people who aren't really engaged. Oh, yeah. They've got to be just shut the fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We listen, we want to know what you guys think about this. And and I listen, I want to talk to specifically if you're out there and you're not believing this and you're not going to admit to yourself that it's because of politics, but don't, don't do the thing that everybody did during Bill Clinton. Don't be the National Organization for Women who stood by Bill Clinton, who is a vile, reprehensible rapist. Bill Clinton's not just a sexual harasser. Bill Clinton has been credibly accused of rape. And women stood by him because he's a Democrat. Justice is what we should seek. 
What is just? What is moral? What is right? What is ethical? Not what is good for the Democratic Party. Along those same lines, I I really do not want to hear comparisons about how many rape accusations. Right. I oh, don't, well, Trump has 40. Yeah, I don't want to hear That's about why that. I said, you know what they call a guy who's raped only one woman? A fucking rapist. Yeah, I just, I when I see that argument, I, again, I feel sick. I mean, it's like, what is happening right now? It's just an unbelievable place to be in. For sure. This is why it's so important that that the, the Biden camp picks a good vice presidential nominee. Because really, you're going to be voting for vice president. Look at it that way, if that's what you need to do. I'm voting for Elizabeth Warren for vice presidents. I'm voting for Stacey Abrams as vice president. Even for the love of God, I'm voting for Kamala Harris for vice president. <laughs> What have we done? What the fuck have we done? I do want to hear from the listeners, though. I want to hear from you if you're voting for Joe Biden and you believe this or you don't believe this. I want to hear from you if you're not voting for Joe Biden and you believe this or you don't believe this. I I want to hear where you guys stand. And listen, whenever we talk about controversial, controversial things like this, where inevitably the audience is going to disagree with us about things, right? There's probably people who turned this off already before I have the opportunity to give this little spiel. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And that's just the nature of what we do here. It's the nature of what we talk about, that sometimes people get so angry that they don't want to listen to the show anymore. And that's always unfortunate because we, we want to hear from you, right? We love the dissent. I don't know if people can tell, but we're torn up about this. And I want to hear other perspectives that will possibly heal me. <laughs> listen, listen. How, ma- how many times do I have to say, I don't want to believe this? I don't want to. But the, but the evidence is the evidence. I've been led down the path. You can't unbelieve. You can't not. I just choose to not believe. When you believe it, you believe it. It's credible. Well, you could choose not to. No, once you, once you, it's like saying, ah, anyway, fuck. We want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Let's move on though, Brittany Page. There's a lot going on here in California with the coronavirus. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of social issues that we need to be tackling and, uh, they're important too. So according to a data forecasting company, STR, that tracks the hotel... Pew, 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 okay. pew, pew. Data, that, data. Yes, that tracks, <laughs> uh, that tracks the hotel industry. An estimated 80% of hotel rooms in the United States are currently empty. 80%. Insane. In, uh, first of all, for me, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's insane that 20% have people in them. Yes. That's a big number. Yes. I mean, yeah, 80% is crazy, but who are these people staying in hotels? Yeah. So what, what has been happening in some cities is these hotels will like light up messages. Oh yeah. I saw like turn the lights on in a pattern in the hotel. Make it look like a heart. Like all the, the all lights are off, and then the side of the building it looks like a heart because of the lit up room, right? Or they'll like spell out hope, or they'll spell out love by turning on the lights in certain rooms to create a a pattern. And it honestly, 
I don't want to see it and I don't care about it and it's stupid because all it does is show how many rooms are empty that could be filled with homeless people that are living on the streets and yeah, suffering. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry to be like a poo-poo on the attempt at like unity and love message, but honestly, let's be real here. 80% of hotel rooms yeah. are empty and, well, and the federal government could be paying for sure. these businesses to provide housing for homeless people even at a discounted rate because some money's better than no money luckily that's where gavin newsom comes in and we have project room key is what it's called and that's exactly what's happening is hotels are being provided funds to house homeless individuals we announced a series of initiatives a number of months ago on homelessness but one of the subset initiatives we announced a few weeks back was Project Room Key. In partnership with FEMA, uh, Project Room Key would identify 15,000 hotel rooms throughout the state of California. Those hotel rooms uh, would be supported uh, not only through food programs and delivery services, uh, but with basic uh, social services to meet the needs of those uh, that we would provide uh, accommodations for. Uh, we had an audacious goal a few weeks back of identifying 15,000 hotel rooms uh, that would be made available as a subset of our larger strategy, uh, homeless strategy, to get people off the streets. I'm pleased today to announce a milestone that 10,974 hotel rooms have been procured. 4,211 individuals are now inside, off the streets, out of our shelters, representing roughly 38% of all of those hotel rooms now being occupied. Uh, we've had amazing partnerships, not only with Santa Clara County, but Yolo County, Merced County, Los Angeles County, Riverside County, and Ventura County. And there's a reason I mentioned those counties. They have simply done more uh, than all of the other counties to really support this effort. You may notice an absence of Orange County, which is the yeah. county that uh, we live in. And the reason that Orange County was not named is because, well, Orange County is filled with rich people. And many of the cities here are filled with wealthy people who generally have animosity toward homeless individuals being provided resources in their cities. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. Stingy fuckers. And you don't just see this in terms of Project Room Key. You see this with homeless organizations um, and advocates that go out to various cities and try to provide resources to where homeless people live that residents will protest and yeah. come to town hall meetings and city hall meetings and talk about how they want the homeless people out of their cities and that they're causing problems. And listen, I'm sure that some of that is legitimate, right? But a lot of that is also fear-based and comes from a place of animosity for people they don't know. Resentment. Right. Yeah. And so there have been various protests, like I said, in front of hotels um, because of this program and Orange County residents not wanting hotels in their cities to accept homeless people. I mean, it's the ultimate punching down. You know what I mean? It's just fuck you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're protesting because we're not being cruel enough. 
Oh, we need to be crueler. Ugh. Yeah. So this next clip is Gavin Newsom talking about who is included in Project Roomkey, who has access to assistance from this program. I just want to remind people the subset of people that we are prior- prioritizing in Project Roomkey are individuals that have tested positive for COVID-19, individuals that are in congregate settings that have been exposed to COVID-19, or elderly individuals that are vulnerable, and as well as others with comorbidity, mobilities, or morbidities, other issues, Still chronic get it disease right. uh, that we have prioritized. That's part of the framework in partnership with FEMA, in partnership with the counties uh, that we prioritize as a subset of our homeless population into this broader effort. This is a pretty remarkable program. And the reason I wanted to spend some time talking about it is I, I wonder how beneficial it would be for other states to put this into place. And California gets criticized a lot for its various policies. But this is something I love about California, right? Yeah, yeah. That in the midst of the pandemic, that action is being taken to support people who are living on the streets. Also, let me say this. This is not just a social welfare type of thing. This also assists business in a time of need. Because it's a it's a win-win here. People are getting off the street. And also, businesses are making a little money that they wouldn't make. It's not like the state of California is commandeering these rooms and like, we're just going to take this now and we're going to give it away for free. There's a, there's a side benefit that actually helps to... Uh, spur a little economic um engine you know a little a little a little rev up for a time when some money needs to be infused into the economy yeah and i i also want to talk about the the partnership here with jose andres uh chef Chef jose andres love that guy because he runs the World Central Kitchen, and he's been very passionate about this too. His his proposal, I think it's called Feed America Now. As soon as the shutdown happened, he was very concerned about the restaurant industry. Let's explain who he is. He's uh, Chef uh, Jose Andres. Yeah. He like during um, Hurricane Maria, and right. and uh, in, he like went down to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. I, I get him mixed up. Was Hurricane Maria the Puerto Rico one or was that the Houston one? No, I believe that was Puerto Rico. He anyway, he he jumps into action and takes care of biz. He may have been a taking care of biz candidate before because he's just a remarkable human being serving hundreds of thousands of meals during these times when governments shit the bed. They completely fucking fail. For sure. And so Gavin Newsom actually announced a partnership with Jose Andres and his World Central Kitchen to provide three meals a day to Project Room Key hotels throughout the state. Um, and he's been so pivotal in in not only Hurricane Maria, a lot of the natural disasters that have occurred around the world, but also right now, like I was talking about earlier, his Feed America Now proposal is similar to what this Project Room Key is. He proposed that the government should pay restaurants to stay open to cook meals to feed the community. Yeah. And by funneling money into restaurants from the government, you would be able to keep those businesses going, keep people employed, and also keep people fed so that no one is starving. It's an economic lifeline, but it's also a humanitarian lifeline as well. Mm -hmm. It's a great... 
he needs to be taken more seriously. And it's it's one of the things that looking forward to a new administration will have people like that who will be taken seriously and they won't be at ego odds with Donald Trump anymore. Yeah. Ugh. So I one of my favorite Twitter accounts is Talk Poverty. And the reason I love that Twitter account is because they feature a lot of discussions surrounding poverty, homelessness, uh food stamps, right? Anything related to the experiences of people in poverty. And often that's what they feature is specific lived experiences from the people in their own words. And they put together this really beneficial and moving video. And it's not something that you necessarily need to watch because it's just people telling their stories, but it's people sharing their experiences on food stamps. And I thought it was an important perspective to share. I've worked my entire life, I worked for a large corporation, uh, and at 29 and a half years of service with this corporation, found myself without a job. I first got on SNAP after I was wiped out in the Great Recession. I had to make sure my kids ate, and I never wanted them to go, go to bed hungry like I did. In any given month, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as Food Stamps, helps nearly 40 million Americans from going hungry. Even though the program serves as a lifeline for millions of families, the benefits it provides are extremely meager. Just $1.40 per person per meal on average. It's like a puzzle that you put together, you know, you're, you know how you're going to get food for the month or the week, you know, or how you're going to you know, balance childcare and healthcare and all of that stuff. SNAP benefits, they're good. It could be much better because they're not enough. And so I can't even imagine saying, oh, we're going to cut it out. I was worried, how am I going to get to pay for my insulin? I can't afford this. I, there's no way. So am, am I going to eat? Am I going to have my medicine? What am I going to do? Luckily, my I have a son that told me, Mom, I'll help you out. I'll help you out, you know. So having to rely on my children to help me with my with my medical it's very difficult despite COVID-19 the Trump administration is still considering cuts to SNAP unless Congress steps in millions could be left hungry your food source and being cut off is like it's like cutting off your air supply how are you going to look for a job if you're hungry food is not a luxury food is a necessity it makes me angry when people think that, you know, you're just living off the system. No. I'm utilizing benefits that I put into, I worked for. Food is a basic human right because it's basic to survival. I'm just trying to live and survive and eat. Food is a right. Congress must stop the cuts. Share this video if you agree that SNAP matters. So, as most listeners know, we are both children of food stamps. Yeah. Right? We grew up on food stamps, grew up on free school lunch. And so, this issue is near and dear to our hearts. And I think that that's a remarkable number. The SNAP benefits average $1.40 per person per meal, right? A lot of times, Republicans try to talk about food stamps as though... People are just going wild in the grocery store, right? Like getting steaks and lobster and scallops, you know, all kinds of delicious treats. And that's not the reality. Think about what you can get for a dollar forty. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if you're eating shitty 
value meal stuff at a fast food restaurant, that's that's not enough food. Yeah, well, that's why a lot of times it's banquet meals. Yeah, remember the banquet meals? No, Usually I mean, like, yeah, I know what they are. Like ten for a dollar mac and cheese. Oh, right, 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 right. microwave. Not ten for a dollar, like a dollar each. A dollar each. Yeah, that sounds. Yes, I'm sorry, I reversed the number. <laughs> Listen, it's been a long day. Yes. Okay? Yes. Uh, but we, we wanted to share that because it's a reminder that <laughs> Donald Trump is someone who has never had to worry about where his next meal is going to come from. And here he is attempting to take away benefits for people that need them in order to have a basic necessity, which is food. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to put people in positions of power that understand what it means to struggle, that understand what it is like trying to make ends meet, and understand what it's like when you're hungry and you need to reach out for help and get support. And that's something else I want to say. With everything that's going on, people who have been furloughed, people who are on unemployment, people who are out of work, people who can't pay their bills, there is no shame in public assistance. There is no shame Zero. in utilizing these services so that you do not go hungry, so that you can pay your bills, so that you can buy food for your family. There is no shame in that. And do not ever let someone make you feel that way. Yeah. It, listen, it is, uh, it is your birthright as an American to be treated well, to, 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 to survive, to thrive. The... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is, is, is enshrined in our founding documents. Take that on. You've earned that. There's no shame. Zero fucking shame in taking what is yours. Anyway, I think that's a great place to end it. Listen, I know that we pissed some people off today. But I would hope that you would grapple with those uncomfortable feelings that you have. Obviously, I'm talking about uh, the Joe Biden stuff. And let's have a conversation about it. Because the situation's not going away. The allegations aren't going away. In fact, it's only going to heighten. And the heat is only going to be turned up the closer we get to election day. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email us a voice memo from that smartphone of yours. I doubt it at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We want to have a conversation about this. Uh, these are important issues. The coming months, are we're going to be facing insurmountable, serious issues. And uh, now more than ever, we need leaders, and it's unfortunate that we're in the situation we are, but, you know, we're going to deal with reality on reality's terms, and we want to talk to you. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you, all of your support, all of your listenership. It means the world to us. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. <laughs>